2: Dude, anytime I can come and talk about the old, well, now, the, I guess it's the old, the new old big three,
1: or the old big
2: three, I'm, listen, I'll be there, because, you know, they were some of the greatest times watching basketball, I just, like Danny Ainge said, I hope they could just get their acts together and, and get over it.
0: Welcome to Celtics Blog Podcast number 31, I'm Bobby Manning, and this is what you need to know. From Celtics Blog this week. Today we're going to talk to Brian Rob, B Rob, the Celtics writer for Boston Sports Journal, as well as our own Nick Gelso at Clns Media and Celtics Blog, who's going to take us inside Ray Allen. It's crazy. Today, March 30th, I'm 20. 20. Never even imagined getting to this age. But what's funny about it now is this episode is a crossroad between two completely different Celtics teams. The one we have right now, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward. Of course, they're gone, but a 50-win team nonetheless. We're going to get into how that's been able to happen and what we could foresee come playoff time. But you also have Ray Allen in the news. And wow, does 2008 feel distant. I was 10 when the Celtics won that championship. And now, 10 years later, big controversy over the fallout of that team in the years that followed, and that being the lone championship that they won. So, plenty of Ray Allen conversation toward the later end of this episode. First, we're going to talk to B. Rob about a variety of things. The Celtics have won five straight games now, six of seven. And they are thriving despite the fact that players left and right are out. The injury list going into the game against the Jazz was longer than the Bible, it felt like. And now they have two games left against the Raptors with just a three-game deficit to them. The one seed is still in play, and they are figuring things out quickly and on the fly. So we're going to figure out why that is and ask the question that Mike DePrisco answered on Celtics blog today. Is Brad Stevens Coach of the Year? I say yes. He says yes. We also have Read and React from the Celtics Jazz win up on Celtics blog, as well as Romy Nemez. amazing article about Daniel Tice, and she's going to make you feel some type of way about Tice. I already was, and this just brought me right back to how awesome I felt about him as a player going into this season. Subscribe to the Banners broadcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Sealinus Media app because look at the guests today. B. Rob, Gelso, you're not going to get that anywhere else. As well as the Celtics blog writers who are going to continue to come on here. I think next week me and Alex Kungu are going to do a little bit of battle on whether uh, the Celtics should get ahead of the curb and trade Terry Roger. For now, let's talk to Brian Robb our guest today on the celtics blog podcast good friend of the blog and one of the best reporters covering the celtics out there for boston sports journal the celtics beat reporter and a co-host on the big three podcast one of the other podcasts covering the celtics out there b rob brian rob is with us today hello brian hey
1: bobby how you doing how, nice have they, me.
0: how have things been this year, making the transition from uh, one platform to another? How, how have you enjoyed uh, working with uh, BSJ now? It's been, it's been quite an ambitious effort by all of you over there.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. Um, it's It's been going great so far. Um, yeah, definitely, obviously, been working with a lead company over there with Greg Bedard and Sean McAdam, Chris Price, Joe McDonald, guys who've, who've been on their respective beats for years upon years, so... Was definitely excited to, you know, cover the team on the at home on the road throughout the year, and um, obviously it's been quite the year from night one all the way through uh, last night's win in um, Utah. So it's been a fun ride, and definitely have been enjoying uh, every step of the way, and appreciate all the support from everyone out there during it.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you're part of something special? I mean, this is you. You guys were early in that wave of uh, subscription services popping up. Now, of course, the Athletic um, was even behind you guys. it felt like
1: this is kind of a new model, and journalism It's kind of moving in this direction. And I know it's for me. It's been very, um, you know, it's it's been a lot of work, which is understandable. You know, everyone. There's you know, we're trying to outwork everyone else, obviously, on a daily basis. But um, it's also been fun in terms of just the kind of coverage you we're able to do there kind of really go in depth, nitty gritty, uh, stuff you did not necessarily you're going to see other places in terms of breaking down um, plays, games, you know uh, free agent trade off possibilities, things like that so try to give, try to kind of look at it from a different angle so you know you make it worth the the price of subscription for people out there that do subscribe that we're i that thankful for the people that do.
0: Yeah, I, I, ta- I talked with John Corrales uh, on my podcast yesterday about the fact that people are finally willing to pay for something again, it feels like. We had gotten in such a mode where everything online was so wide open and free that that just became the expectation. And now to see it go the other way is pretty cool. It, it definitely is. So let's, let's get in the Celtics talk. There's a lot of good things going on with this team outside of the health report, which uh, reads like a movie script right now. Yeah. <laughs> five straight wins for the Celtics with their undermanned units. Of course, three game-winning shots over the last five games. And the big topic right now is Brad Stevens, coach of the year, possibly. There's a lot of hot candidates in the running. And I, I, I we've gotten back into that mode where it feels like those out-of-time plays at the end of games just feel so automatic again. The way that last night came together in particular, the Utah win, can you break down that play a little bit for uh, the listeners out there it was, it came together so quickly and everything just happened within like the flash of a lightning bolt
1: it was a just an incredible i mean that whole final 2 minute sequence when it looked like the Celtics were done down 6 and then Brad Stevens switches back to that 2 3 zone it gets a couple stops gets them back into the game and then yeah you know everyone i think even Scalabrini was talking about it on the podcast was surprised to see O'Shealy on the floor uh, for that final play in batting the ball. But sure enough, he was, you know, uh, a critical part of that play. Um, Brad Stevens said after the game, you know, I actually broke it down on Boston Sports Journal today in depth that, that you know, the play was for Larkin to kind of get a quick look, uh, kind of sneak in a layup at the rim, but the Jazz collapsed on him quickly. Yeah, and that,
0: that, they, <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: that a guy named Gobert in there. Exactly, exactly. A guy named Gobert thought, you know, I'm not going to pay attention too much to this O Character who who kind of ran through the lane right before Larkin drove though so, and then went back out to the three point line and Larkin, to his credit, uh, drove strong. Jalen Brown tried to pin down to create some space room, but three Jazz defenders collapsed there. And Larkin made I thought you know maybe the best part of the play the, the pass he made was just like a ridiculous thing. I had a lot of mustard on to get it all the way out to Ojala at the top of the key on the left wing with plenty of time to go and. O'Jale stayed composed, waited for Donovan Mitchell to roll by him, Saw the better shooter to his right, Jalen Brown getting into space, and then, you know, Brown, again, took his time. I think it was also important there that they both those guys took their time, Bobby, in the sense that there's only 0.3 seconds left on the clock. You take that shot too soon, then you give Jazz enough time to finish it, but everyone kind of stayed patient. Uh found the right spots, and it was a great play call and a great execution by everyone involved.
0: Yeah, Ojale especially, and he he has not had the best offensive season, and I think it it's a big reason Stevens is such a great coach in that this guy has not had the most consistent success on that end of the floor, but like you said, he's out there, he trusts him to make the play, and a lot of the guys who are on the floor for the team right now didn't see time early this season, and they were still sprinkled in throughout those lineups, and they were given opportunities early that now they're cashing in on late with even bigger opportunities. Shane Larkin in particular, too, on the ball in those final moments. He saw quite a bit of time, even when there were more bodies earlier this year. So that, that leads me into my coach of the year conversation. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure Stevens isn't that concerned about it, but I am. Because you you look at the games played across here, Hayward's missed 73, Irving's missed 14, Morris 25. They've missed 20 from Smart, eight from Horford, 11 from Brown, and we we were having the conversation on Twitter last night. It's obviously not the you know most adversity award, but I think a big part of it is the cards you're dealt and what you do with them. And you know, Dwayne Casey's done a fantastic job. I can't take credit away from him for how he switched up the system up there in Toronto, changed the perception of them, got everyone playing in a completely different manner. Great coaching accomplishments, but I think it's far and away, Stevens. What do you think is the most important trait when it comes to Coach of the Year, and who is your favorite right now?
1: Yeah, it's. I feel like it's a bit, just based on how these league-wide awards get voted on, By I feel like it's a mix of, again, like how... Uh, coach or a player does in regard to expectations Um, just obviously I think you have to be an elite coach I mean in terms of what your team is doing to get the coach of the year honor which I feel like um, puts you know Brad Stevens and Dwayne Casey right up front as front runners and you know before these last couple weeks I think Casey you know had the inside track there just based on how well Toronto's rolling, as you mentioned, just how much he's revamped the, uh, the offense system up there and how well that's worked. But these last couple of weeks here with once, you know, once Irving went down, once Smart went down again, and for the fact that Celtics, you know, they, they won this, they swept this road trip against, you know, there's a couple of bad teams on there, but obviously Portland and Utah, they're still playing for their playoff lives right now. They've been two of the best teams in the league in the second half of the year. Uh, and the Celtics have, have now won, uh, Swept the four game road trip in like, you know, since the big three are two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. So for I for me, it's really just like what who's made the most out of what you have. And taking nothing away from doing Casey, but like they've they've been pretty healthy all year up there in Toronto. You know, they've Lowry, DeRozan, Abaka, that that whole starting five core has been there all year long. You know, Brad Stevens lost an all star on night one, you know, the talk was immediately after that was like, all right, they're going to make the playoffs, but they're probably looking at a four, five, six seed, something like that. And then you factor in the earring injury. Now, a bunch of other important rotation injuries, Morris smart, et cetera, over the course of the year. And just what he's gotten out of this group. I think, I think these last couple of weeks have just tipped the scale in Steven's direction. And for that honor.
0: What in particular do you think it is about Stevens that's made him so successful this year in spite of everything thrown at him? I think the biggest challenges he's had to face is the fact that on the fly, he's had to readjust their game plans based on what they have. Opening night, what they had in the schedule in front of them, he basically had to, right then and there, throw away the playbook that he was planning to base around Hayward, and then... They have to do that again within the course of things once you lose Smart, once you lose Irving, as they recently did. They actually lost three players out of that Indiana game on March 11th, probably going to go down as one of the deadliest losses the (laughs) Celtics have ever suffered. Um, What what do you think has allowed Stevens to be so successful in spite of that? I know I mentioned that um, he keeps guys involved deep off the bench, but what else is it about him?
1: Yeah, I do I think I think that's a big part of it by the way what you just mentioned is he maybe just as well as any coach in the league, he, he keeps guys engaged, one through fifteen, I feel like. There's there's been a spot at every point in the season where he's called on someone for big minutes in a critical spot, whether that's a guy like Nader or Ojale or Larkin, um, even a guy like Jabari Bird, like the third the Celtics were looking at an 0-3 start. To the year in Philadelphia um, back in that first week of the season. And then he says, you know what, I'm going to call up this, you know, this guy, two-way guy in Bird. You, you're going to go guard J.J. Radic in the second half. And sure enough, that helped lead to the comeback win. And the Celtics rang off, you know, another 15 more wins after that. So, you know, his ability to keep guys engaged, his ability just to adapt on the fly. You know, a lot of coaches are set in their ways in terms of how they want to play um, their system on any given night, how they want to defend uh, on any given night. Um, he mixes and matches probably just as well as everyone to, to certain situations. I think, again, last night against the Jazz, going to that 2-3 zone, both in the third and the fourth quarter down crunch time, that really gave the Celtics, without the necessary manpower, like the opportunity to win that game because the Jazz was Carrying them up in the pick and roll, and you go to something that is unorthodox, but he's not af- afraid to experiment with things like that. Roll with the hot hand when it applies, and you you build that with the good building good confidence in your players as well, and you get uh, an unlikely, potentially fifty five win team this year.
0: He he talks about matchups so much, and that that seems to be one of his core coaching philosophies is that it is all about the matchups. He can pull up a guy. From deep on the roster, if it does seem to fit that matchup on a given night, do you know what kind of things he bases that off of? Is it film-driven? Is it analytic-driven? I know their system is very analytically driven based on who the people he has around him are.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bit of everything, I think. I know he has, you know, the, the video guys on the, his staff work really hard. And they are, you know, out watching everyone's playing games upon games ahead of time for future opponents. So when... You know, that opponent does come up in the schedule. Like, Stevens has all the information he could need on him. And he, as a head coach, like, he's working just as hard on game one as, you know, game 75, I feel like. Like, he doesn't – he just tries to make the best. He doesn't take a game like last night in Utah and be like, listen, we don't have a – you know, we don't have a chance here with, with, like, six rotation players out. Like, no, he's 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 seeing how can I – get by, how can I make the best out of what we have left, putting guys like Tatum and Jayden Jayden Brown in spots where they can carry the offense, while also doing the best to not disrupt the second unit flow by bringing a guy like Gershon Yavasele into the starting lineup so everything else can stay in place continuity-wise with the other units. So it's, it's a mix of everything, it changes on a nightly basis for him, but... There's no question as far as like being prepared from an information standpoint, both with video and numbers. Um, he, you know, that his entire staff um, works their butts off.
0: We're talking to Brian Rob, Celtics reporter for Boston Sports Journal. Check out his analysis on the Jazz win over there on that site and. Our own Mike DePrisco made his case for Brad Stevens as Coach of the Year over at CelticsBlog.com, so check those two things out. Um, let's talk lineups a little bit. Now that Irving, smart, all of them are gone, they've had about eight games since March 11th, I believe, to test out new lineups. Um, the one they've used most in particular in terms of minutes is um, Baines, Horford, Morris, Roger, and Tatum, 52 minutes with a net rating of... 21 not not the greatest sample size there in just 50 minutes but um, what lineups have stuck out to you in particular that you think the celtics might be leaning on come playoff time with the group they currently have
1: yeah so i mean it seems like brad stevens continually likes that flexibility in late game situations so i feel like the group we're gonna see most often particularly if uh, irving is sidelined in that um, for the first round is Rozier, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Morris, and Horford. And that's a group, again, that gives you a lot of versatility on the wings, a lot of switchability. And I feel like when you're going to be playing a lot of wing-heavy lineups potentially, whether that's going to be Miami or Milwaukee, in all likelihood, in the first round, that's going to be critical. And the other, you know, you're going to have a couple wild cards there. You can, you know, Greg Monroe obviously saw crunch time minutes last night um, with Horford out. And I think he will, for offensive purposes, get the call there on certain possessions. And I think the other variable we could see here, Bobby, is a guy like Shane Larkin, who, again, is taking. He played a team high, I think it was 34 or 32 to 34 minutes right now. Him and Ojale were right there. And so, those are the two guys where I feel like, situationally, matchup wise, they could be getting a call uh, f- from a defensive standpoint. Because Ogelay obviously gives you uh, just someone who can guard four different positions. Um, isn't going to give you much on the offensive end, obviously, but can really hold his own on that end of the floor. And Larkin, as far as ball pressure goes, defensively, on opposing point guards, I feel like he's a little bit more reliable than Rozier in that front. So, If a team is getting into a rhythm, particularly in the pick and roll, um, and you want to disrupt that a little bit, Largan's a guy I feel like that could get up there. And if they want to go super small, and maybe have him replace Morris in the lineup. Or obviously, if you want to go super defensive-minded, you can go Ojale over a guy like Tatum, who I feel like, again, is a little bit ahead of Tatum on the defensive end of the floor right now.
0: Real quickly, it does seem like um, Morris and Tatum in particular have started to play better as the season has gone on together on the court. I felt like that was kind of an awkward mix early on. Numbers are looking a little better there when those two are together. Uh, they both seem to assimilate, um, operate in similar spots on the floor when they're out there. What, what do you think of them as a duo when they're out there?
1: Yeah, I'm um, a few. I think that's a great point by you Bobby, just in terms of them gaining some rhythm here because that— that lineup with Irving in place of Rozier, that was not a good lineup for this team um, for the first half of the year with Irving, Brown, Tatum, Morris, over I think that was the lineup that Brad Stevens probably thought he was going to be playing most of this yeah. year and starting, but it just never seemed to click. And I think a lot of that was because of Morris's injury issues. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was because of just like rebounding issues with that lineup since you don't have a true big man there to kind of clean up the glass. But now as Morris has gotten healthy, his you know play has really improved and they both are really found their rhythm in terms of just being able to find each other on the floor. They have the length to sh- get their shots off over other people, and defensively they again with when Morris is moving well, Tatum, you know, he can struggle against faster guys, but I think he's held his home better than most anyone could have expected going into this year. I don't know what you think about that, Bobby, but like.
0: Especially around the rim.
1: Right. So like you, you, you put though that's just a tough matchup for opponents when they're out there together. And so finally in the last month, we've I think we are finally seeing what Brad Stevens was hoping would be there from, you know, November on. But without Irving on the floor, those guys are going to be, having those guys out there together, is going to be critical for this team to stay afloat offensively.
0: Let's check in on that trainer's office because they, they overhauled the staff over the summer. I think they're going to need reinforcements with how many guys are in there at this point. <laughs> Horford, and Horford and Morris um, were on the men for the Utah game. How big of a concern are they going forward? And At this point, what what is the hope when it comes to a re- possible return for Smart and Irving come playoff time?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I don't think the Horford and Morris injuries are anything to worry about too much right now. I think that was a situation last night in Utah where if that was a playoff game, those guys would be playing. But at this point, with the number two seed wrapped up, you can't obviously afford to lose anyone else. There's no need to risk anything um, with just a week and a half, two weeks left in the regular season. So I'd expect those guys to get some spot duty, if not Saturday, then next week, and but also get um, their fair share rests rest down the stretch here. And as far as the other guys go, I mean, it's, you know, Danny Ainge talked about it a bit today, uh, 95 Sports up with Touch and Rich, that, you know, both of those, neither, you, you don't really know if either of those guys yet because it's, it's still a couple weeks off and they still haven't really started fully the, the rehab process for both of those um, su- surgeries. So I think realistically, There's an outside chance that Irving is back at some point in the first round. The three-week, three-to-six-week timetable. that three weeks it starts, and lands on the Saturday, which would be the start of the the playoffs. So I'd be shocked if he was ready to go early in that series. But if everything went well and his knee responds well in the next couple weeks, I wouldn't rule him off the floor in that first round entirely. And smart, I've heard, you know, Chris Paul had a similar surgery on his thumb last year to repair that that same torn tendon and he actually returned a week ahead of schedule with no restrictions so it is possible where again if everybody's different um and you don't know how people are going to respond but that's encouraging from the sense that you know it's possible that he could potentially be that timetable of six to eight weeks that would put him for now best case situation that he's back in the second round
0: and the Celtics really ho- hammered home that uh, minimally invasive point which I yeah they did was interesting. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what that's all about going forward but for now terry roger has been thriving in irving's place uh the shooting has been astounding uh most prominently eight threes against sacramento four threes against the suns and then three threes against Utah. So he has been shooting lights out. The whole team actually has been since those injuries occurred. A lot of guys hovering around that 40-50% mark. Uh, Roger in particular, 44% over the last 24 games where he has sc- scored double figures in every one of them. And it's not just you know starting opportunity that's gotten him to that point. We've just slowly seen him rise into a steady, consistent, capable scorer in this league. What does that mean for the Celtics going forward? Of course, it's great this year, but the value is going up on this guy pretty clearly as more and more teams start to see this. Um, His contract isn't up for another season, but of course, Marcus Smart's coming off the books this summer, and there's luxury tax implications when it comes to getting all these guys back on board. How do do you think they're going to handle all the moving bodies at point guard? They even have to re-sign Irving um, after next season as well.
1: Right. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Bobby, because there is no doubt that um with the opportunities these guys are getting all across the board this year, it's great for guys like Brown and Tatum for the Celtic standpoint because you know those guys are under contract for a while so you don't have to really worry about them breaking out in terms of what their value is, except it just helps their trade value. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Rozier, obviously, you know, he's the the price tag is adjusted by what he's doing right now. Other teams are seeing what he's capable of. He's still young uh, at 24, and it's going to be tough financially, like you said, beyond next season to keep him and Smart on the roster, in my opinion, because you're going to be paying Kyrie Irving max money. You're going to have Jalen Brown on the books for an expensive part of his rookie deal, and then you're not going to be able to afford paying your reserve backcourt probably a combined $20 million a year. It's just not going to work for you financially. So the Celtics don't have to make a decision yet. They're still going to have restricted free agent rights on both those guys. Um, smart, the, 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 the free agent market might not be great for smart this year. There's not a ton of teams of cap space as is, and teams that will be looking for a point guard. So that might help them keep the price tag down on him. But then they'll, you know, if they retain him, they have to, essentially think about, hey, do we want to move Rozier this off season for future assets if we don't think we're going to be able to retain them down the line? Kind of like what they did with Avery Bradley last summer. Yep. Or are you know like are we just going to ride this thing out? Maybe make a real run at it next year and then make that decision in the summer two thousand nineteen. That's they're gonna. I'm sure they're gonna be exploring all avenues on that front. But um, yeah, that if if you're looking at you know a worrisome part of his breakout, which I'm sure is not really a huge concern, but like it is the price is going up on Terry Rozier. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Th-
0: things are really mounting on that contract front. There's a lot of money on the books already. A lot of money due to be paid to these guys. I, I do find it interesting though, that you talked about bringing it all back for next year, because I-, I think that might actually be the most likely scenario just based off what their aspirations are next year. You'd like to be proactive on something like this, but Given the choice, they do have the uh, option of just bringing everything back for next season and just going for it, then deciding later. And I don't think anyone would be upset about that. More options, more lineups, more depth. None of none of it's a bad thing. But uh, it, it is something to consider. Before we let you go, Brian, you've been fantastic here, i got to say. Um, Ray Allen has been making the media rounds. I know it's not the uh, top of the beat right now, but it is a big story in Celtics land um, what he's been saying about Rajan Rondo, the book that's due to come out. I don't have the date right in front of me. Um, he d- he did a appearance in Boston um, within the last few days. What have you made of that whole saga? Because he has, sp- he has spoken his mind quite a bit. He had been p- quiet prior to all of this. But it does seem like the other members of those Celtics teams aren't really in line with him on what he's saying or how he feels or anything really.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a it seems like a bizarre situation to me, Bobby. Just in terms of what you know, what 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 is Ray Allen's like? You know, goal here by this? It seemed like you know he, he had buried the hatchet with Paul Pierce. You know, a few months ago, um, out that you know I think that was an NBA China event or something like that over overseas there, and slowly but surely, you know, things were starting to cool off between you know you had the 10 year reunion thing for the 2008 team and doc rivers and Pierce trying to facilitate Allen kind of mending fesses with Rhino and KJ on that front. And now this book comes out and it seems like Ray's kind of just
0: throwing all that out
1: the window really. And cause he's definitely not helping himself in regard to any of those guys. And to be honest, like the, the franchise itself, like stuff that he's saying about, you know, Danny Ainge and, Potential deals he was involved in, and you know, I get, I get the the tell all aspect of it. If you want to just, you know, write a book, go for it. But it, you know, I'm not sure. You know you'd think he doesn't really need the money here. Mm-hmm. So like, it is just a, I don't know what you thought about it. It's just a, it's a really interesting situation here, and it makes what it really does. Is it just makes I feel like any type of you know long term, you know, healing between all those sides that just that much more tougher now that this is all out there
0: and there's a lot of egos that play in the starting lineup there every one of these guys has gone on to become such massive stars even rondo in particular he wasn't on that big three level but he has carved out quite a career in the days since that championship what stuck out to me was when they were discussing it on the air, Brian Scalabrini kind of just shaking his head because, you know, Scalabrini doesn't have the biggest ego or horse in all of this, really. He just seems like kind of a neutral figure in it all. And right. he, him sitting there shaking his head and being like, you know, I don't know about all of this. That that made it seem weird to me. So I, I'm interested to read the book to see what he says. It is out actually now. so. Uh, with a forward from Spike Lee, actually. So, yeah, he doesn't need the money. He's got that Jesus uh, Shuttlesworth, money yeah. still, I'm sure, but also bizarre. And with Pierce's um, number going into the rafters, 10-year anniversary of that championship, you'd think it'd all be shored up at this point, but it seems like the tensions are just still show, so hot on both sides of this.
1: Yeah, it's um, I it's a great point. That, yeah, that with Brans, Calabrini, Denny, and these are guys who have been the bystanders and this itch, like between the two sides over the years, they haven't really had a a true dog in the fight. So when they're kind of when guys like that are shrugging it off, um, that kind of speaks volumes in my mind.
0: Real quick before you go, do you think his number will ever be retired?
1: No, by the Celtics. I do not. I think this. I think there's a very slim chance of it happening to begin with. Um, but I I think this kind of this book might honestly just close the door on it to be perfectly frank i just don't think i don't see it happening
0: that's brian rob boston sports journal you got to read his coverage and you you were fantastic today brian one of my favorite guests i've had on here so far nice conversative so good it's great analysis too so i you have a good one and we will continue to look for your tweets articles and everything else out there thank you
1: thanks so much for having me bobby pleasure
0: Nick Jelso's on the line next calling in, you, you know who he is, CLNS Media founder and owner, he was at the Wilbur Theatre last night, or a couple nights ago, when when was that? No, last night. Yeah, last, last night, night. so I was, I was right the first time. Ray Allen, speaking out about his experience leaving the Celtics, of course he has a new book out as of March 27th about his career and departure from the Celtics. What were your thoughts about the uh, speech he made, the interview he had at the uh, theater in particular, Nick? What was the biggest takeaway you had from that?
2: Well, let me start with Bobby. I, I think you know, most people know I'm, I'm a big Ray apologist. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to come on and bash Ray. But I will say last, or, you know, uh, what night was it? Wednesday night was uh, one of the softer interviews. I've ever seen. And it was followed up on Thursday with his his appearance on, on first take. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, they talked a lot about diet, which I know is important to Ray. And I think it should be important to other people. Um, they talked a lot about KG mentioned Garnett, you know, um, quite often. One name that was not mentioned at all was Paul Pierce. And we can talk about that in a second. Rondo's name would not have been mentioned had, Actually, I know the guy. Matt Roboto was in the audience, and I, I recognize his voice. He—they were talking about Ray uh, hitting the the three-point shot that put made him the three-point king, and how prior to the game, uh, they were all his teammates were fighting over who was going to give him the assist. Well, the assist, <laughs> of course, went to Rondo that year. He failed to mention that, and Matt in the audience yelled out, "Who threw the pass?" And Ray ignored it. But I can't remember the gentleman's name who who uh, uh, interviewed Ray. I, I know he's from Hartford, but um, yeah, I don't think he knew it was Rondo. So he actually, because they weren't taking questions from the crowd, but he actually referred back to it and said, Ray, who did throw the pass? And Ray went Rondo. And that was the end of yeah. it. So that was the only mention of Rondo. You know, clearly there's – there's a lot, I think, I mean, I'm not in Rave's head. I do know him. I got a chance to talk to him a little bit, which was fun. Um, but, and he didn't mention anything about this. It's just pure speculation. But taking away from the book and, and the comments um, at the Wilbur, I, it feels to me like he has a lot of regrets in regards to how his relationship has devolved, I guess is a good word, with, mm-hmm. with Kevin Garnett. Um, but no mention of Paul Pierce, really basically no mention of Rondo, a lot of talk about doc, a lot of talk about Seattle and Milwaukee. Um, and a lot of talk about the people of Boston, but there's definitely a bit of uncomfortableness and there was in the crowd. I mean, when, they, when the, the guy who was hosting the, the, the Q and a was mentioned, uh, Ray leaving Boston for Miami, the audience booed, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but it was Bobby, it was more soft than, uh, uh, Sesame Street man it was it was really not Ray's, Ray's toughest
0: interview and and, and luckily Stephen A. Smith did get into him a little bit the best question he asked was did you make the call Ray after he left the team did you make the call and he, he didn't he didn't call the guys he didn't explain that decision to them and I felt that similar sense of regret from that interview that you expressed right there he he really honed in on the memories how how the team back then was more of a family he talked about how he knew every guy's wives he didn't call it the big three he called it the big 12 because everybody played a big part and he was naming the teammates and then the fact that they were always there for halloween not just the celtics but other teams as well he he got into that as well and there was that deep sense of regret but he he still doesn't get to the crux of the issue and you, you just hit it right on the head right there it was the heat and Stephen A. Smith got into that too. like the, That was the biggest rival of them at the time. And he, he talked about the other offers he had. Everything else that was on the table back then. But at the end of the day, he still went to the Heat. And he won a championship there. He helped close the window on those Celtics teams on the other side with LeBron. I know you're a big Ray Allen guy, but I'm sure that's something you can relate to as well as the fact that he, he went to LeBron's team. And that's still something that's hard for some people to swallow.
2: Yeah, I, even me. I mean, being a Ray Allen apologist, uh, that was killer, man. I think what really tortured me about the move was that he was offered more in the end and a no-trade clause and turned all that down and still went to Miami. The one thing on Wednesday that he said that was, there was many interesting things, but the one really interesting there were a lot of innuendos, and I mean, he had talked about you know, and he, did, it was almost like he was getting set up to be a motivational speaker because it was a lot of motivational stuff. Yeah. And he had talked about, uh, you know, to the audience, you know, a piece of advice is look at yourself ten years from now, and think about how you behave now. And uh, like I said, the interview was a bit soft. I mean, as as an interviewer myself, I probably my next question would have been, "What do you regret from ten years ago?" Right? Because it just happens ten years ago is the O eight championship. Yeah. Um, but he didn't do that and. You know, Ray skipped over it and skipped over the topic and then came back to it again and kind of said, you know, there were times in my life where I felt like felt like I should have just walked into the, the coach's office or the GM's office and said, this is what I want. This is what I need. Can you accommodate it? And I didn't do that. I just felt a sense of, you know, uh, not entitlement, but yeah, maybe a sense of entitlement that this is what he thought he deserved. There's definitely a lot of regret there. But you know what, Bobby? I believe that there's a lot more to this story between Rondo, Ray, KG, and even Paul, to a certain extent, than you, me, Stephen A. Smith, the man in the moon, will ever know. <laughs> uh, I'm still inside that locker room and we'll never, there's more to the story. I mean, Kevin Garnett, you know, yeah, but 10 years, you know, eight years later, is he still going to be upset that he left for Miami? Come on. There's more to the story uh, than you and I will we'll ever know, but mm-hmm. You know, Ray is most definitely a guy that's completely still infatuated with his image and is he, and is how he's perceived, and and that came out a lot in the in the the interview on Wednesday. I I don't know what his lasting legacy in Boston will be, but I think time does heal wounds, and when Kevin Garnett finally or when Ray gets the guts to to, to go to Garnett and and make amends, um, I think at that point maybe the fan base could start to. To, uh, to heal as well. The other interesting thing, Bobby, is the place was half empty. Half empty.
0: It says a lot, doesn't it? Why do you think he, why, why do you think he's coming out now? Because he stayed quiet on this for a while, and you you had Rondo, of course, joking that oh maybe he needs some money or something like that. But that obviously isn't the case. I mean, this guy has done movies and everything else. Why do you think he's he's making the media tour now on this? Was it the Paul Pierce uh, retirement? Do you think that hurt him, that he wasn't there for that? I know he did mention in the first Take interview that he was kind of upset that Kendrick Perkins went on Kevin Garnett's show because he had just talked to him two days earlier, and he said he was in his corner.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is like high school BS. I mean, even Ainge said, I think he tweeted out today, or he was on the, the Sports Hub, Something like that, he says. You know, it's time for these guys to get together and just yeah. get their act together because it's just asinine, you know, when you think about it. Who showed up here? Who went on what show? Uh, he asked about why is he doing it now? I mean, the dude's trying to sell books. Yeah, I mean, so of course he's gonna go. And, and it just ironically was when the Celtics and all the Boston traveling media were out west because the team the team was out west, so there was no real Celtics media there. Um, and He's trying to sell books. I think it started with that Players' Tribune column he did. Uh, it was the letter to himself tenure, when he was a kid. And it got a lot of play. And I believe this, and don't quote me on this, but I believe it's the same co-author as who co-authored the book. But that Players' Tribune piece really did very well. And and I think maybe that got him the itch to, to talk. And I don't know that everything in that book is factual, but there's got to be some semblance of truth in it. Um, and it's Ray's interpretation of it, yeah. you know, and I, I really think the Rondo and Ray are, I don't know what their beef is. Uh, I mean, we could all speculate definitely more than any of us ever will know for sure. Um, uh, I don't think that that matters to the fan base as much as it does that Kevin Garnett is still sticking his face, you know, his nose up to Ray. If, if Kevin can get over Ray, I think the fan base will too. And you saw it happening. Had Ray gone to, to Paul's retirement, ceremony i think we'd all be okay with with ray at this point i would have said he went and he golfed in florida because he wasn't invited according to ray he, he wasn't invited and didn't know what was going on well come on yeah i mean that that's when you when even me as a, a ray allen a, a apologizer or a fan you know says come on ray i mean we're we, we may we may be stupid but we're not dumb if that
0: makes sense and I, I said this I said this to Brian in the first segment. It, it said a lot to me that Brian Scalabrini, who absorbed all of that, was like, I don't know about some of this. Because, you know, he's the neutral figure in all of this. There's a lot of egos at play when it comes to the competing sides in this story. But Brian Scalabrini, for him to go, mm, I don't know about some of the stuff said in here. It, it it does it does strike me as a little odd that even he would go to that length and then of course there was the whole um story about Rondo saying that he drove them to the championship when it was actually him talking about You're 2010 right. uh, as it right. came out so
2: it's it's And then tough. not even that is defined like Paul Pierce said I think he got the dates messed up Right, I can see Rondo saying that in 2010, not too, but we don't know for sure. I mean, I don't think they remember, but obviously Ray does. He told a really interesting story about his first – he was in Rome, and it's in the book. Uh, he was in Rome, and it was their first game, and everybody has their routines, and Ray was sitting in the locker room and, and bounced, dribbling – sitting at, at, at his locker, dribbling a basketball, mm-hmm. and Kevin Garnett walked up to him and said, are you going to continue to do that, and if so, for how long? because I'll leave until you stop. So, you know, and, and I mean, Ray wasn't snarky about it. I mean, he kind of was laughing at, he was like, you know, as you get older, you realize you have to uh, compromise your own routines and your own um, habits that annoy other people. And, and that was one of them. And, you know, I thought that was an interesting story.
0: It's, it's all kind of sad. And you, you summed it up real well right there in that they they have to get over this at some point. Ten years later, after the championship, think of all the things. We mentioned it all in here, the workout routine, the record-breaking three, remember his mom in the crowd, all that stuff sounds so or, distant yep. now that yep. this has become uh, the it, recent memory of him.
2: Well, <laughs> the sad thing is, I mean, the Celtics have a great legacy and tradition of honoring their championship teams. I mean, we, we see them do it. Any championship with it from the '60s, every single year, they're re-raising the banner. When and they the wouldn't 40s. have
0: done it without them. That's the key point.
2: Well, they wouldn't have, and, and this is a the year they should be doing it in, in in at some point. And I've heard nothing about it, and I'm in the locker room, so I don't know that it'll actually happen. I, you know, I, and it's sad, and really. Yeah, they're all friends, but they're all gone their own ways. It's like graduating high school. Really, the only people that lose out on this are the fans, mm-hmm. because the fans don't get to 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 really really relish in the fact that that was just such a special, special team. And you know, and I don't. And it's sad. There was such a perception at that time, probably until Rondo got his head that was too big to walk into a door. Um, but there was that a perception by fans, and that there was that team was infallible. I remember, and you probably do too, you know, you'd be watching a broadcast and they talk about the strength of the Celtics locker room and here, you know, it was in tatters from year two. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of friction from year two. So, you know, it's a sad story. Hopefully at some point they will make up. I think Ray has made a lot of mistakes and I think he's He's making amends, but he's still making mistakes while he's doing it because to come to Boston and go to the Wilbur Theater and not mention Paul Pierce's name one time, not once. Dude, he did not even say number 34. He didn't say Pierce. He didn't say his name at all, not once.
0: And for him to say the Celtics and Heat weren't rivals, it's lack of awareness. It's lack of awareness. Yeah, I mean,
2: if you look at it from a historical standpoint, which is what Ray will say, they're not rivals in the in the whole scheme of the last seventy years of the NBA, but certainly to this generation, your generation, that is the most relevant rivalry is is, is Celtics Heat or Celtics Cavs. I mean, Celtics versus LeBron. Yes. Really. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he did get asked who was his toughest cover. Um, somebody in the crowd yelled Kobe, and he said, "Would you let me finish?" And he said Jordan. I mean, he only covered Jordan for a year. Yeah. I, you know, so there's there's a lot of things I think Ray lets his ego get in the way of. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. I mean, I don't blame it all on Ray. I never did. I'd love to see them all make up Hell, listen, man. If you were there last night, you saw the shape Ray Allen was in. I'd take him for six minutes a game coming off the bench. The Celtics, right? <laughs> the Celtics, Celtics could probably
0: use it right now, as we've talked about.
2: Well, and that was one of the things he said, too. He's like, if I played today's NBA, I'd score 50 points a game. Because yeah,
0: you I hear that NBA quite a bit now. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: and, and so... Exceptional talent, still a complete class act, still very contrived in his responses. Um, and he's Ray, still Ray Allen, yep. you know, so see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. I, I've forgiven him because I, I've always been a Ray apologist. I'll leave you with that.
0: That's Nick Gelso. I'm sure we will have a lot of Ray Allen reaction to come for months and years on Celtics blog and CLNS media, as well as the follow out of this book uh, as we continue to get more details out of it. Thanks for joining us, Nick.
2: And thanks for having me, man.
0: (laughs) That is our show for today. Good to be 20. Thanks for the happy birthdays, guys. And I'm going to be here. For more episodes to come, number 32 next week, we will talk to you then. Probably going to be me and Alex Kungu going at it again. And we'll continue to hear from the rest of the cast as well. Maybe we'll talk to Romy about her Daniel Tice article as well. Don't have a concrete plan for next week. But when it comes, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. That is where you can find. Our shows every week. It's the best way to reward me for my birthday. Also, uh, Celtics took part in a political demonstration in Sacramento this past week. I didn't get into it on this episode because we don't discuss politics on uh, Celtics blog. But I hit on it with John Corrales on the latest Bobcast. So if you want to hear something about that, I have a podcast up on that. Go check that out as well as the great content we have up at the blog right now, Celticsblog.com. I'm Bobby Manning. This is Banners Broadcast, Celtics Blog Pod, number 31. We will talk to you next week. Good night.
2: Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden. Mostly those who wear Celtic green.
1: What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.
0: Welcome